Shroom for Two, Episode 5, More Fun Than a Barrel of Barrels. Hey everyone, welcome to Shroom for Two, the PVZ Heroes podcast. It's Wednesday, October 18th, and Rustbolt rules all of us. I'm Mike. And I'm Rustbolt's loyal servant, Taylor. The game turned one. It did, yes. Happy birthday. We've both been playing for almost all of that time. We found it in late October, right? That's right. I found it when uh, Mark Rosewater posted about it on his blog on October 23rd, 2016. Mark Rosewater, the lead designer of Magic, has a lot of really great things to say if you're interested in kind of the the art and science of game design as I am. And he posted about it because someone asked him if they'd seen the game because it felt like a very loving homage to Magic. If you've played Magic, you know that it's very similar. You know, you've got mana, you've got creatures, you've got spells, you got the environments are kind of like enchantments. And uh, Mark Rosewater said that the lead designer of Plants vs. Zombies Heroes is a guy named Devin Lowe who used to work at Wizards of the Coast developing Magic for a long time. And uh, so... In honor of the anniversary of the game, I've pulled up Devin Lowe's article on uh, MTG Gamepedia, where it's, you know, a wiki where they talk about magic stuff. Devin Lowe joined Wizards of the Coast in 2003 and became the head developer of Magic in 2007. And so that means that he was the head developer around the time of, like, Zendikar. For all you Magic players, you probably remember that Zendikar was really, really sweet. That had a really fun, limited format and just kind of a lot of lot of good stuff going on in it. And uh, we've linked to Devin Lowe's page on Gamepedia in the show notes. And uh, if you're a Magic player, you'll see that a lot of the really cool things that happened in Magic kind of in the middle of the last decade happened while he was on the development team and so uh thumbs up to him for doing good work at magic and thumbs up to him for doing good work on this game yep happy birthday to devin Lowe. <laughs> yeah happy birthday devin now time for the listener mail segment and just as i predicted in the first episode we've gotten one additional listener mail every week so this is our third week where we've had listener mail and we've got three of them so yeah good job by our listener base to keep coordinated on that yeah congratulations for growing at a linear rate you make the scientist in me very happy you're very predictable our first listener mail is a follow-up from listener jacob who if you recall last episode asked us to brew some sneaky conjuration decks for him around dr spacetime he thanked us for our efforts and posted a deck that he chose to play which is uh, based on neptuna so i guess mike won that competition i played a bunch of that deck too and yeah it's real good I, i'm gonna ladder a whole bunch with it once it resets but i'm ultimate now so i can't be beaten up on you too bad yeah i'm certainly not going to tell anybody not to play stompadon right now stompadon is definitely one of the best things you can be doing and uh conjuring cards is exactly what stompadon wants you to do so good on you but but he comes to us with a follow-up question. As I'm sure you've all seen, there's a whole lot of Rust Bolt going on in the meta right now. He asks us for our opinions on what the good meta classes uh, besides Rust Bolt are. So, Mike, you got some thoughts about that. Take it away. To me, the zombie side of the meta is basically super viable on all ends unless you're a beastly hero. You know, not that beastly cards aren't good, but every other class has some very awesome new toys to play with. Brainy, I think, is the best of the best classes right now, so... No argument here. Yeah, heroes like especially Rustbolt and Professor Brainstorm and Huge Giganticus are all really, really high-end, but 
Also, anything with professional in it has Fossil Head and Stompadon and Escape Through Time and all kinds of also fun, crazy broken things. And speaking of crazy, Quick Draw Con Man. Anyone Quick Draw Con Man has a viable deck right there ready to go. I have been playing a lot of Pankalodon Infinity and it's incredible. Yeah, Quick Draw Con Man is going to get in for at least three. When I'm playing an aggressive plant deck, I really value Bullseye very highly because just getting three or four points of Bullseye in might mean that your aggro deck can take them down only triggering the block meter once instead of twice and that's a really big difference when your one drop that's hard to remove is basically guaranteed to get in for three bullseye damage no matter what happens that's a sign of a very strong card like turn one galactic cactus is probably going to deal three bullseye damage because they're going to block it on turn two and even if they block quick draw con man they're probably going to have to spend another card in order to stop that damage from racking up and that's let alone any other kind of pirate synergy or whatever's going on so yeah crazy is quite strong right now there's a lot of really really good zombie decks in a in a variety of classes which is nice to see but as far as plants go, I can't really tell as much. Like, I have a lot of success with my Beta Caratina deck, but nobody sees Beta Caratina as a strong, strong option this meta. I think aggro decks are very good right now, especially I agree. a Green Shadow Bean deck even, but as well as Nightcap. And, and Fry did a very interesting aggro Solar Flare deck over on Monday, so go, go check out his YouTube for that. That was really incredible with Haunted Pumpkin and, and uh, Elderberry and things like that. Zapricot. We'll we'll link to that in the show notes. The um I agree with your assessment that aggro is where it's at right now for plants. We're gonna talk about Crow Magnolia a little bit later. And I think that if you're a plant, what you want to be doing is killing them so fast that they don't have time to set up their crazy zomblob combo, or that they don't have time to flash in their giant Valkyrie, or you know, you kill them before they ramp to their Badman Rising. Um and so I think that um I I I don't have as specific a meta uh, calculation as like what heroes to play, but pretty much no matter what you're doing, you want to be putting pressure on them so that they're dealing with you rather than proactively playing their game plan. Like if you're if your deck is slow enough that they can safely take turn three or four off to play a Medulla Nebula, um, then you're going to get wrecked. Because the the payoff that they have for doing that is much stronger than anything the plants are really able to do right now. And so you need to make sure that you're disrupting them by getting in for early damage. Uh, so thank you, listener Jacob, for two weeks' worth of interesting discussion. Yes, thank you. Uh, who's our next mail from? Our next mail is from listener Pecan Begone, who either doesn't want to tell us uh, their real name or has some really tremendous picanophobic hippie parents. And uh, they ask about OP cards. And in fact, I I almost totally disagree with their premise. So this is going to be an interesting segment. The OP cards that they name are Wingnut and Parasol Zombie. And they use the word power creep. And all three of those things are things I have strong feelings about personally. So first of all, I would disagree with your premise that Wingnut is OP. I think that Wingnut is definitely pushed pretty hard for an answer card. Um, And what I mean by an answer card is that Wingnut is clearly meant to counter a strategy of a certain kind. Wingnut is hard to kill with removal, and it stops bonus attacks. So that means that if your plan is to teleport in a trickster, Wingnut is going to stop that plan, or at least hobble you for a while until you remove it. And I think that there's not really anybody around who's going to say that teleporting in a big thing is a bad thing to do right now. And so I think that Wingnut 
its power level is quite high, but I don't think that it is in any way stopping that strategy from being very strong, which is exactly where an answer card should be. It should make that strategy difficult, and it should make that strategy have to do some reactive work when it's trying to implement its game plan, but it doesn't completely hate it out of the meta, and it doesn't make it completely unplayable. So I think that Wingnut is a totally fine power level. What do you think about that, Mike? Well, uh, my, my feelings are not as long as yours, but <laughs> they're just as valid. I like Wingnut. I think Wingnut is a great card. I don't I don't think it's OP. I think its crime is more being a unique card versus being an especially overpowered one in that it occupies a niche of only one, as does Parasol Zombie, at, at least for right now. So as for OP cards, I would push back a little on that terminology, especially the terminology of power creep because there's really two main ways that power seeps into a metagame in a way that you don't like um in my view the first way is increases in raw rate and what i mean by that is how much stats you get for your money fossil head when you trigger it is two mana five six with untrickable it's just totally insane rate yeah Um, a two mana five six without untrickable is still ridiculous to imagine Power can be put into a metagame by increasing the rate, and that is that is a way that it can creep up over time. You know, the average rate of a card, of, of cards in a new set can kind of go up over time. But the thing that Plants vs. Zombies Heroes is really suffering from right now, in my opinion, is, is the other kind of power creep, which is very strong answers that get answers printed to them. And so uh, the way I like to think about this in my head... Uh, is from the classic Simpsons, Simpsons episode where pigeons take over Springfield and uh, they release a bunch of lizards that, you know, eat pigeons and totally take over the city and kill all the pigeons. And they say, isn't our city just overrun with lizards right now? And they say, oh, yes, well, we'll release a bunch of snakes that eat all the lizards. And well, then what about the snakes that take over the city? I was like, oh, well, we'll, we'll release a bunch of gorillas that kill all the snakes. And And so in my view... The things that are really doing damage to the Plants vs. Zombies Heroes metagame right now are are the really strong answers to cards that people didn't like. So in the early episodes of the show, we talked a lot about Captain Cucumber and how crazy good it was that you played all the time and it was just so amazing. And in this set, they printed Barrel of Barrels, which gives a any zombie deadly and draws you a card. Might even draw you another copy of Barrel Full of Barrels. And, and that has pretty decisively taken a chunk out of Captain Cucumber. Other similar things are going on in the in the metagame as well. So Escape Through Time is very strong at just sort of winning combat. And also triggering Stompadon while giving it another target. Exactly. So like there are some answers right now that are extremely strong and, and they by and large are all on the zombie side. And I think that those are enabling zombie decks combined with the, the mechanic that allows zombies to play zombies later in the turn is really enabling zombie decks to kind of to beat back the answers that plants are able to present. I think that the the worst offender of this is teleport and teleport probably wasn't a big problem before, but now that you can zomblob in a 20 power bullseye creature and just kill them right away, I think the teleport is probably doing a lot more harm than good these days. And that sort of OP card, I have a big problem with because if the only answer is to to print a specific counter, 
then that can have long-term consequences for the health of a metagame down the road. If a card is just strong right now and maybe the metagame has to warp around it to be like, oh, you should play more high-power zombies so Captain Cucumber doesn't get a million triggers in, or maybe you should play more zombies with Deadly, then that would be okay. But when every sneaky class gets to say one mana, kill Captain Cucumber, draw a card, that does a bunch of other things that, that hurt the game. And I think that that is more what's going on right now than than Colossal Fossil Head just being a big fat creature that you can't remove. I think there's one card in my mind that is on that level of OP right now, and it's Medulla Nebula. Because that card was incredible when it first came out, and it only cost two mana. And that was in a world where evolution didn't exist. Like, That's Medulla true. Nebula's brain generation was conceived when zombie evolution was not a thing. When you Once you triggered it. Yeah, once you triggered it once a turn, you couldn't trigger it again. Right, you could only get benefit from it once a turn, and that's not true anymore. So I think that rejuvenation into Medulla Nebula is why Zombie Class reigns supreme right now, because they allow their turns to be so much longer, to the point where it feels kind of like in the Hearthstone meta when the quest rogue first became a thing, you know, okay, turn four, I have these five cards in my hand, and I'm going to play all of them, and you can do nothing, and I win. Yeah, and something that Magic players will recognize is that they're much more sparing about printing effects that give you extra mana, like more mana than they cost these days, and Medulla Nebula requires some investment up front, but as I mentioned before, if the plant player isn't pushing extremely hard to deal damage in the early game, and they can afford to take turn three off to play Medulla Nebula, their return on their investment is just bonkers. So, I mean, Game Design 101, effects that give you extra resources are extremely dangerous, as we're all learning now. And I think maybe something has to be done about that. Yeah, and probably not just raising it up to four either. Ah, uh, four might be okay. But, you know, there are there are plenty of other things that are sort of involved in the process. It's still turn three if you have Cryobrain. It is, but if you needed to draw five exact cards and have them all in your hand for the combo to work, that would be okay. But if you can draw those cards in kind of any combination and have the combo work piecemeal, then that's when you start to get a problem. If you have teleport on the turn that you have your giant Zomblob to flash in, then you win. But if you just have teleport on any random other turn, it's just a one mana spell that draws you a card. And then like there's like basically zero downside to playing that unless you're playing a specific counter like Sporticus or Forget-Me-Nuts. And when those combo pieces are also extremely strong on their own, or at least there's no downside to playing them, then you end up get, making a machine that's extremely consistent. And that is, that's what's dangerous. And so that's why personally, if I had to pick a single card to blame for, for sort of the zombie dominance right now, it would be teleport. And maybe teleportation zombie as a backup. I think that the sort of zero downside nature of teleport makes it totally worthwhile to include in your deck and and it allows the combo decks that want to flash in a giant creature to to still get value on the turns where their combo doesn't come together yeah anything where you can act before your opponent acts and win right there is definitely very scary one last thing that i think might be resonating in the new meta being as fast as it is and that's dino roar i'm a little concerned they might have overshot the mark a bit because of how much it interacts with conjure and sure. so much is built around conjure right now there's so many cheap conjure cards that are out there and all of them set off dino roar which might be accelerating it 
a lot faster than intended compared to being like a once a turn at the start draw and it activates then and only then you know you're activating it two three times a turn all at once right i mean to say nothing of leprechaun imp and and pot of gold if you're a brainy hero you want to have four leprechaun imps i paid i paid eight thousand sparks to get four leprechaun imps and it's totally worth it dino is a very dangerous mechanic in that it is made more powerful by the thing that helps you win card games anyway. If you sit down at a table and play a new card game that you've never seen before, cards that say draw extra cards are probably the good ones. Pro tip from me, a rando who plays a lot of card games. And so something that gets better when you draw a lot of cards is going to be strong, and it's going to synergize with things that make your deck better already. I'm not saying that Dino Roar is pushed too hard, I'm saying that things that draw multiple cards are probably worth playing already, and they don't need to be made better, and Dino War makes them better, and that's dangerous. Uh, yeah, so thank you, listener, Pecan Be Gone. That's right, and ironically, I think that Pecanolith is a pretty good counter to what's going on in the meta right now, you know, when they flash in their giant Zomblob and you have Pecanolith, uh, it only attacks for five. Yeah, only five bullseye damage, I never thought I'd say that. Maybe the pecans should stay, so perhaps you should rethink your name. And then finally, our third piece of listener mail is that listener Leonard asks about mushroom decks, which are one of my favorite kinds of decks. And they would like to know what cards to put in mushroom decks besides Molecale and Pine Clone, like non-mushroom cards to go in mushroom decks. Well, there are a number of good ones in the various colors that mushroom decks can be. The first thing that I'll mention is that removal spells are pretty much always strong. Um... If, if you're an aggro deck that wants to just clear away a big blocker that you'd otherwise have to trade multiple cards for, or if you're a control deck that wants to deal with pesky things that are going to eat multiple mushrooms, um, you want to play removal spells. So if you're like a guardian hero, you want to play Shamrocket. I mean, I, I would stop right there and say if you're playing a mushroom deck, always put in four berry blasts because those are great removal and also can be a finisher face spell. Oh yeah, absolutely. No question about that. Um, okay, so if you're a Guardian hero, I think that cards like Photosynthesizer and Garlic could do a pretty good job of protecting your Punish Rooms and let you get more triggers off of those. Yeah, and I like Tough Beats if you're going to try and storm the field, or Doom Shroom if you want to build around having a bunch of really low-attack dudes. If you are a Mega Grow hero, I would say that Lily of the Valley and Vegetation Mutation are going to give you extra value because of your team-up guys. Uh, I would maybe say Muscle Sprout if you have it, but it's a legendary. I mean, Muscle Sprout's strong. Yeah, I, I've never built a Muscle Sprout deck I like, but it's probably out there. Like, I, I look at it and, and think it's a good card, but yeah, I, mean, I haven't played a Mushroom Captain Combustible in a while, so who knows? If you're a smarty hero like Nightcap, I would say something like Go Nuts, which gets bigger when you play Team Up Dudes, or Planet of the Grapes, which draws you extra cards, which aggro decks always want to do, would be quite strong. And I would put in Tricorn, because it's a really good finisher and a great way to do eight damage and kill a dude. I'm going to talk more about Tricorn later, but I'm a big fan of it. If you are a solar deck, something that you might struggle with is getting the last little bit of damage to get you over the finish line, for which I would recommend strike-through cards like Power Flower, Laser Bean, and Jack-O-Lantern. Yeah, and I like Cosmos just in general right now. It is a great way to deal with everyone playing Medulla Nebula or Black Hole or also a boon to your other environments um and then to conclude just some general kabloom cards that are quite strong zapricot is very good on rate just a four power creature for three mana is quite good and uh, chrome magnolia which i'll be talking about later is a very good way to push extra damage 
Yeah. Fireweed's also really nice as a 3-3. You can play on Heights for two. That is a very good value card, even without the environment paving built in. Mm -hmm. All right. And uh, thank you, listener Leonard, for asking about my favorite kind of deck. All right. Let's do a zombie class power ranking. I don't I don't know that I have so much to say about that. Like so I guess Brainy is number yeah, one. One Brainy. I got Hardy is two. I think Sneaky is two. Okay. I got Sneaky is three. I think Hardy. Oh well, it feels so wrong to say that Hardy is four with Stompadon and Fossilhead and all that stuff, but I mean Quick Draw Con Man is like so good and like the chickening is really clamping down on like one of the best ways for plant heroes to put in tons of crazy power immediately. I mean not um, even that. Gizzard Lizard is the new chickening. Sure, that's true. Yeah, so I guess for three, yeah, for three, I say Hardy. I had Crazy at, I don't know if Crazy is three or four right now, because yeah, Con Man is good, and Tankalosaurus is really good, but most of what makes Tankalosaurus good is Infinity. All the good, sneaky conjuration. But we both got Beastly at five, right? I think so, yeah. I mean, you know, it bumps me out, because Beastly is the kind of game I want to play. I think probably my favorite event card that's been printed is Secret Agent because it like it lets you rebuy enters the battlefield effects, which is really fun. It makes your creature big, so that means you win combat, and combat is fun. And it's a tempo hit to play it. Like You're really sacrificing a lot by Secret Agenting your own thing, but it can also save you from a removal spell. You know, it's a very dynamic card. And when games are about how big your creatures are and what's going on on the board then I think that's really cool. And that's, I think, why I like Electric Boogaloo so much. But right now, like, the game all happens at instant speed. So, like, your your creatures don't even matter. So for our card of the week, the Trick or Treater is back. One of the first cash shop cards from when the game was brand new. It's now a weekly card. And, of course, the tricks are now way better and really good cards. Oh, yeah. Trick or Treater is quite strong right now. Yeah. Do you, do you think... There's a lot of speculation on the PPC Heroes subreddit that they're going to start repeating event cards once they get to the one-year point of weekly events being a thing in, like, December. Do you think that's going to happen? Well, I understand that some things about the game can be learned by adjusting your system clock. I've never verified that, but there is a Google Calendar that purports to state what future event cards will be. And I've been looking at it since I found the PVZ Heroes subreddit, and it's been right so far. So if I had to guess, I would say that we're probably going to see stuff like uh, Jack-O-Lantern and Regifting Zombie again when its time comes around. Maybe even everyone's favorite card, Turkey Rider. Oh, boy. But do you think they'll get to the point where they'll be repeating ticket cards for tickets once they get to that? I think it's possible. Um, Certainly as someone who doesn't have a lot of the very strong ticket cards, I would like them to do that. I only have one garlic and I would like to have four of them. And so if they repeated them, it would make me very happy. I'm torn on it. In one way, it's a very good way to cap the power of event cards by making them recurringly available instead of being this never-ending building upon building, because there's been a lot of very powerful event cards that have pushed the meta a lot, you know, things like Lily and Clickpeas and Shamrocket and Pear Cub. There's a lot of very good cards to be had, and the idea of somebody who wasn't around last December or January or whatever being able to get them without having to buy a bunch of booster packs or, or spend a bunch on crafting is very nice. I don't know how I'll feel if it's a card I already have four of come up. Like, I've been playing a lot for grinding tickets, and if I didn't have that for a week, I don't know 
how reliably I'd come in to do my quest or whatever. My thoughts on that are that um, games like this, new player acquisition is absolutely the most important thing for the entire lifetime of the game. You need new players coming in if you want your game to survive. And making kind of a boys club of people that were around long enough to have the most powerful old stuff is a great recipe for making your game population shrink. So I'm I'm all about new players being able to get access to the old powerful stuff. And I think that the game will be better off if every player has access to the strong cards like Regifting Zombie, Sham Rocket, Garlic, Leprechaun Imp. All that of them. All of them that I think, I mean, Leprechaun Imp was a cash shop card and maybe it's not coming back. So maybe that's just never going to happen. Yeah, but, but Trick or Treater used to be a cash shop only card. So we really don't know what they're what they're going to rule on for the future. That's true. Certainly Leprechaun Imp is strong enough and important enough to the good decks in the metagame that you should really have four of them in your deck. And if new players got access to Leprechaun Imp just by by playing the game a lot, I think that would be great personally. The other card of the week we have is the Witch Hazel, the cash shop card. It is a 4-mana, 0-1 smarty card that says at the end of the turn, destroy a random zombie and make a 1-1 puff shroom with team up there, and it's a flower. I haven't bought this. I don't think I'm going to. But my only experience with it so far was conjuring it off of a Cosmic Flower a few weeks ago because, you know, it, it got put into the game when they added the next batch of event cards. And um, it did some good work for me that game. It ate a defensive end. And the more often it eats defensive ends and the less often it eats, you know, zombie metal managers, that's going to be good for it. But I think that the power level of this card is is pretty medium. Yeah, I'm I'm not blown away by it either. At this point, with with cash shop cards, I'm going to be comparing them all to Zombology Teacher on a scale of how much will I regret not buying this, because I feel pretty bad about passing on that one, but looking at this, I don't feel nearly the same way. I think it'll be good in Green Shadow and Rose decks, but probably not see that much use aside from that. Well, it definitely wants to hide behind a team-up card. That's that's the way that you're going to protect it, and I think... Just from a game design perspective, something that's worth pointing out is the closest card to this that we've seen so far is Electric Blueberry, which triggers after combat here, in quotes. So immediately after the fighting happens in the lane that Electric Blueberry is in, it deals six damage somewhere. They could have chosen the same time as Electric Blueberry for which Hazel to trigger, but instead they chose it to trigger at the end of the turn, which means that, let's say, later in the turn the block meter goes off and which Hazel ends up dying, then which Hazel isn't going to happen. So they chose to ratchet down the power level of this so that the combat that happens later in the turn gets less complicated. And I think that's a reasonable choice because a random zombie dying later in the turn and a new plant appearing later in the turn is something that it's pretty hard to predict. And if they want this card to be predictable, then this is the right way to do it. But I think that if Witch Hazel were to trigger at the end of combat, if the giant Zomblob that they teleported into lane four could get killed by the Witch Hazel in lane one, then that would be pretty cool. That would be a nice, crazy game story. That would be a nice way to sort of snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. With this kind of card, you can really only count on it to make one trade. The turn after, the zombie's either going to flood their board with little wimpy dudes, so it doesn't matter if they die, or use one of so many things to kill it right then and there. So, like, if you put it in a rose deck, 
You could play it on your third turn if you had Solar Winds down, which would be a great way to kill a Fossil Head that was out there by itself on turn three. So that alone means it has some space in competitive meta, maybe? Yeah, I think I'll be crafting this one rather than buying it. I'm not going to pay for it right now, for sure. It's cool, though. I like that I can get it off Cosmic Flower. Yeah, yeah. Plus, you get Strike Through, too. Oh, yeah. That all zero one with Strike Through. Okay, so our next card of the week. Since Colossal Fossils is still quite new, we're each going to do another card of the week just of cards from the set. Uh, and my card of the week this week is Cro-Magnolia. It is a three-mana 2-4 that has plant evolution. Plants here and next door get plus two power. And I think this card is amazing. What do you think about it, Mike? I agree. This was actually the first deck I made once I opened all of my set three packs was I, I made a nightcap deck and threw in Cro-Magnolia and Gloomshroom, and it is really, really cool. Oh, yeah. Something good about aggro decks in this game is that if you have two high-power creatures in the same lane, they'll only increment the block meter once between them. So this is a single card that allows you to have two high-power creatures in the same lane all by itself. So if you have, say, a Shroom for two or something else that makes a token, um, Cro-Magnolia can really put a whole lot of damage into a single lane. And that's something that aggro decks want to do, given that the sort of card advantage nature of many of the superpowers sort of really hoses aggro decks. So this is very strong. Yeah, I'm a big fan of anything that'll let you get more damage in on a single lane because... Playing around the block meter is one of, you know, it, it is the most unpredictable thing about this game, aside from bad shuffling luck. And Cro-Magnolia is a wonderful boon to aggro decks right now, and they really need it, because playing aggro is your best chance at winning as a plant right now. Yes, and I think that a card existed that played pretty similar to this um, in the Galactic Garden set. Fans of Captain Combustible might have built around Podfighter, the 5-mana 3-4 that says whenever a plant is played here or next door do a bonus attack this also wants you to just have lots of tokens so if you say play a shroom for two on turn one maybe on turn two you play some other plant somewhere else like in the middle lane turn three you play one of these um then you're effectively playing a three mana eight four and that's very strong and if you if it comes down later, maybe you're getting a three mana ten four, a three mana twelve four. And if the game's gone that on that long, you're probably not dealing twelve damage to the face unless the zombie player is really asleep at the wheel. But that sort of big power burst is the way that aggro decks get over the finish line. Very angry is great. Three mana give your whole team plus two power. But when that doesn't affect the board, like that that isn't a creature that you can just play, then it's really useless in a lot of situations. Whereas Cro-Magnolia at the very least can block. And at the most is a three mana four four that buffs the rest of your cards. So that I think is where plant heroes should be turning right now if they're feeling oppressed by combo decks or other very consistent mid game decks. This also helps Solar Flare and Nightcap in specific because of their superpower that lets you conjure two little mushrooms because those are fodder for Magnolia and whatever's Absolutely. next to it. And my card of the week is Tricorn. The Smarty card, it's a 6-mana 2-6 that says Plant Evolution. This gains 2 attack, and it attacks 3 lanes at once, just like that 3-headed pea shooter. And this card is incredible. I At first glance, I thought it was, oh, that those stats are way too clunky, it's too expensive, whatever. But this is a tremendous card, especially as like an aggro finisher, in that 
it can do up to 12 damage at once, and, you know, you won't always get three lanes open, but you can often do eight damage and kill a thing, and that is an incredible thing to do. And in addition to playing it in, like, a Nightcap Swarm deck, this also works really well in rows because of all the extra little sunflowers from Solar Winds, which can be used to power this up, and also you have a sunflower to protect it. And to rip it out. Yeah. If you play Solar Winds on turn two, and it survives two turns and grows two flowers, then on turn four, you can play this. Yeah, it's very strong. And I I think that this card is good in both the top end of aggro decks and in the sort of mid-game of control decks. And that's a recipe for a card that's very strong. A card that's versatile, card that gives you card advantage, kills multiple things. You may recall my feeling that Venus Flytrap Planet is kind of got hit really hard by the nerf that came down. This is one of the few cards that can really, really, really get you good value off of Venus Flytrap Planet because six health means it's very likely to survive, and attacking in three lanes means you're going to gain a whole lot of life. Yeah, this is this is one of the best new toys that the plants have gotten, and it's easy to look at this and compare it to Wintermelon, you know, both of them being essentially six mana four that attack three lanes at once, but splash damage and attacking in three lanes are really different. Very true. Like... Getting that extra four or eight damage in is a really big advantage over Wintermelon, and I've been used. I've been playing with Wintermelon a lot, and this is just this knocks its socks off. It also means that if you incidentally buff it, you increase the damage, whereas splash damage is static. And now onto our weekly deck dive. Once I hit ultimate, I gave myself one goal, and that was to beat everyone playing Rustvolt I ran into, because I have had enough and I cannot take it anymore, which is why I give you the Rose I Hate Rustvolt deck. You're so noble. You know, you gotta give the people what they want, and what we need right now is a bunch of environments, ways to bounce gravestones, flowers that will kill untrickable things, creatures that bounce, a blocking of bonus attacks, and attacking for four and three lanes. At first glance, this is a very mid-rangey Rose deck. You're definitely not trying to push early damage. 4X Cosmos seems a lot more designed to hate on your opponents playing Medulla Nebula than it is to capitalize on your own environments. It's also there to take out a middleman on turn one. That's a good point. So you've got Grave Mistake for bouncing teleportation zombies on two, which I think is a good call. And you've got three hammers to kill teleportation zombies that come out later. And Stomp It On. Let's not forget Stomp It On. Let's not forget Stomp It On. Also, Mascot Zombie, but who plays Sports Rustbolt anymore? I mean, come on, that is so September. Yeah. Uh, you've also got Chomper, takes a pretty big chunk out of Stomp It On, and... Umbrella Zombie. That's a good point. There's a really dirty little trick here for, for Fossil Head 2, where if you play the Bog of Enlightenment on turn 3, it'll only attack you for 3, and then on turn 4, Chomper can eat it. Bog of Enlightenment is tailor-made to work with Leaf Blower, which you're playing 3 of, so it's an amphibious creature that bounces another thing, deals with Teleportation Zombie, deals with Untrickable Things, really kind of opens the board up. I also threw Sporticus in there to deal with anyone still playing Trickster. This is a great card to whittle somebody down or make them play weird games with the block meter. And Briar Rose and Solar Winds are in here because, of course, Briar Rose is still one of the only things that can kill Fossil Head reliably. And there aren't a lot of flowers in this deck, it's just two Cosmics, but also all of the tokens generated from Solar Winds act as little zero-mana bodyguards. 
And those also work really well with the uh, with the Tricorn, as I said earlier. That is a, a tremendous finisher, and while it can't take out a lot of big things, it can do sneakily 8 damage, and that's not something people expect out of Rose. Yeah, and, and Briar Rose is, you know, you're still going to run into people playing Defensive End. Defensive End didn't stop being a good card, and Briar Rose is just as a 4-mana 3-4 that kills Defensive End is very good. One of the tricky things about Rustvolt is there are so many different decks out there. If you want to hate on Rustbolt as a whole package, you're forced to cover a lot of bases. Yeah, this um, isn't built to counter one specific deck. This is to handle three or four or five different archetypes of, of widely different cards. So you have things in there like, like Wingnut, which stops going viral, and Trickster, and the science zombie that makes everyone bonus attack. You have Brain Anna to deal with anything trying to do something in the, the tricks portion, or to block a Bad Moon Rising... Yeah, Brain Anna hates on Teleport and Bad Moon Rising, which are two very strong cards right now. Also benefits from the bog. It does. And you've got uh, you've got a pretty good suite of finishers here. Something that you really need to do when you're facing down combo decks is that when you get a little bit of an advantage, you really need to press that advantage as hard as you can. And strong finishers help a control deck that like manages to jockey for position just a little bit to get ahead um, to really slam the door on them. And so in that case, three-headed chomper really slams them in when you're when the board is at parity. Dark matter dragon fruit proactively stops teleport shenanigans, and that's something that you want to be doing while also clearing the board and dealing them six. So if you didn't have three-headed chomper and dark matter dragon fruit, I would look towards other strong legendaries like winter melon or well, what's another one? Uh, Starfruit. Starfruit, yeah. Um, some something that does damage and sweeps the board. That's that's what you want to be doing. To take those games where you're just a little bit ahead and push them to games where you're really ahead, um, you need some of those in a deck like this. This deck has done all right. Like, I've queued up against a, a lot of Rust Bolts, and I, I haven't beaten all of them, and sometimes they just get a hand where you can't do anything about it. But it holds its own, and it was a real pleasant surprise. Also, it only has a couple of targets for Chopped. A lot of my decks usually involve the Grizzly Pear Cub, and playing against Rustvolt, you never know when that cub in the Waterland is just going to get Chopped. What is Chopped? The superpower trick that kills a creature with five attack or more. Oh, okay, right, sure. That doesn't come up when you search for... Uh, it's cut down to size, is what that's called. Oh, wow. Huh. I wonder if you started calling it Chop. Whatever. That's a show on Food Network. You have to build a deck with... Uh, Creatures about the three different types of food. <laughs> oh, that would be so much Shopped. fun! Plants versus zombies, heroes deck construction. Yeah, we can talk about that later. But I think I think that like brew offs where we fight each other would be really cool. All right, so talk a little bit more about Sporticus because Sporticus as an event card is pretty expensive to craft, but playing four of them it seems like it's pretty important to the deck. So talk about that inclusion. First of all, it has three attack, which is the magic number against Rustbolt. And even if you get him to burn his Shrink Ray on Sporticus, it will still be productive in its lane and continue to damage him. Sporticus is mostly there to deal with any kind of trick-heavy zombie I'm up against, any kind of trickster or of the whatnot. And it's also a pretty decent-sized body. I like it because it makes the zombie hero rethink what they're going to play because that damage can can add up really fast and it'll make them try and game the block meter and anytime you can make your opponent not play the cards they want to that gives you an advantage in my opinion 
given that in the late game your cards are more powerful, I agree. It's the kind of card that I feel good playing on turn three or when my opponent has two health left, so it can benefit as a really good late game pusher if you're really close to victory. If I had to replace those, I would play more cards like Grave Mistake. More cards that that hate on a particular aspect of the Rust Bolt strategy, because if Sporticus is there to hate on the Teleport strategy, then maybe you sacrifice a little bit of game against the Teleport decks and increase it against something else. So Teleportation Zombie is very strong. Everybody's really playing that right now. Grave Mistake is a good way to profitably deal with that. Maybe just other random environments that can power up your Leaf Blower. That sort of thing. I wonder if Elderberry would be a good play, because it, it's four mana, so you could play it the turn after you play Solar Winds, and you have a team up fodder for it right there, and that's a five mana strike through. Yeah, as I've been saying this whole time, pushing for lots of damage in the early game is a way to sort of keep those combo decks honest, and Elderberry could definitely work in that way. I think one of the reasons I make so many mid-rangey decks is because there's a lot of really good cards that cost three and four and that's true you can you can play two of them at a time in the later game even earlier with rose because of all the extra sun and being able to play two really good cards on a turn while your opponent only plays one is a great way to get some advantage in the field agreed that's how you win hearthstone arena for all you hearthstone arena players out there but yeah, this is my I hate Rust Bolt deck. Let us know what you think, and let us know how much you hate Rust Bolt. Exactly. Yes. Please tell us all your grievances with Rust Bolt. We'll have our anniversary airing of grievances for Plants vs. Zombies Heroes. Please tell us all the things that you don't like about Rust Bolt at Podcast at gmail.com. All right, well, that's going to do it for episode five of Shroom for Two. I'm very thankful that you're all here still with us and that you all seem to be enjoying our show. I'm, I'm very heartened by the... the good feedback we get every week and i'm i'm glad that we're adding to this great community yeah i'm super thankful for the subreddit community and also congratulations on hitting 5000 subscribers oh, as nice. one 2500th of that we love that there's a place on the internet for everyone to come together and talk you know pvz heroes dex is not super active and i tried to join a facebook group but it was mostly in spanish so <laughs> that was a little bit of a hindrance well, that's how we learned that uh hover goat 3000 was called aero cabra which is totally a way better Such name. a better name yeah and i you know we talk a lot about the things we don't like just because that's an interesting topic of discussion and you know i'm really into the academic aspects of game design and so you know where i see sort of places where knobs can get turned and you know places where power levels can get changed a little bit i like to vocalize that but honestly i'm still totally blown away by how solid and strong this game is i'm still totally blown away by all the art and all the sound and all the animation and all the business like this game is incredible and and there's really no other game out there like it and i've made my rounds on all the card games that are around for me to play and this is the one i come back to every day and so when i do a podcast about you know this game is great and the, the meta problems can be dealt with in a healthy way, and I think the community has the tools it needs, and I really want to hear what you guys have to think about that. All that and more next time, and until then, I'm Mike. And I'm Taylor. Taylor.